0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: There's kind of an inherent like humility about traveling slowly and it gives you a, a really interesting perspective as well. If you're Uh, Experience is limited to the distance that you can walk in a single day. You're you're so much more likely to pay attention to what's around you.
2: Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and episode 62 with Leon McCarran. Leon is an adventurer, writer and broadcaster and a self-professed slow traveller. He has a passion for seeking out stories of humanity that are often demonised or misunderstood by Western media. In this episode, we talk about the idea of slow travel, how adventure is made by the people you meet along the way, and the joy of the human experience. We also talk about the responsibility of storytelling and misconceptions around Iraq. Recording these podcasts digitally presents the usual issues of slightly dodgy sound and occasional microphone banging but it also presents wonderful opportunities. This conversation was recorded online, with Leon Sat in his house in northern Iraq where he's currently living. Every cloud has a silver lining. Last thing to mention before we kick off is to implore you to check out Sidetrack magazine. Some of our listeners came to the podcast via Sidetracked, and we know that it works the other way too. The world is full of tabloid journalism, even in the adventure world, and Sidetracked and the adventure podcast share the goal of telling authentic stories of exploration like this one with Leon McCarran. I think that's a really good place to start. I mean, we'll get to the whole intro stuff, but why do you live in Iraq? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it's a, that probably is a very good place to start. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I live here um, because I love it here, because it, it's... Got so much that I value. Um, I find it a like impossibly, almost impossibly enriching and exciting, um, joyful place to live. Um, and and I also partly live here out of function more recently um, because I've been working in this region for about four years on and off, and I would come and go and um, do bits and pieces. And you know, maybe I can talk about that and a bit later, but um I I I sort of made the decision to try and move here and, and spend a bit more time here in a permanent way towards the end of twenty nineteen. Um so I came here for a few months and everything was going really well and then we all started to hear about this virus in Wuhan and um and I actually got stuck in, in the UK away from here um in February, March when things are start starting to lock down. I I'd flown back for a Conference or something that I had to do, and and I had this decision of like, do I fly back on one of the last flights to Iraq and and get locked down there, or do I stay in the English countryside and and go through whatever we're all about to go through here? And and I decided to do it in in the UK, um, which I, yeah, I'm still kind of pretty happy with that as a decision. But um, but then when things started to open up a little bit more. In the autumn of last year, I, I came back here, and so now I'm in my apartments in the city of Erbil, which is in the Kurdistan region of northern Iraq. So it's probably um, useful important to point out that um, where I'm living uh, is in this autonomous region, and um, it's it's a very different existence from if I lived in Baghdad. Baghdad and the south is also are also wonderful places, but th- there are a lot more security implications for foreigner living there. Whereas here, I have you know almost complete freedom um to go anywhere as I please and um I've got a car here I can drive around anywhere within the borders of the Kurdish region uh, which is pretty vast and, and very mountainous and um uh and I, I have this apartment here and so I can um you know live a pretty um I can live the type of life that I was living in England before um except that I'm in northern Iraq and uh you know I've got fast Wi-Fi so we can do this call and I can do everything else I want but uh when the weekend comes around or or a weekday I mean I'm self employed so <laughs> it's all the same um I can just jump in the car drive to the mountains and go hiking for four or five days um and and that's so that's that's kind of why I'm here it doesn't sound dreadful <laughs> no it's it's really not and um you know I've I've made a lot of or or rather the work that I'm doing is um, naturally, kind of uh, started to embody a lot of the the um, the fact that I'm in places that are quite often, I would say, misunderstood by the type of audiences that I write for and 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 make films for. Um, and so, they're, they're I, I would never uh, blame anyone for assuming that Northern Iraq is a very dangerous place, or or perhaps even just a place that is not particularly diverse in terms of its population or landscapes or, or anything else. Um, there's, we don't really have a, a, an edu- education system in place, um, in the UK, uh, that, that would encourage people to to necessarily know about stuff like that, unless they went to seek it out for themselves. And that part of my mission statement for myself is to, to help people do that, to encourage them to, to learn more. Um, as I did, because, i mean this place is phenomenally beautiful it's you know there's some deep history here as well both human history and prior to that and um and it's uh, uh so as well as just being a fun place to live it's it's like intensely interesting and that's kind of taken over um all of my senses and and all of the the directions of where my work maybe was before
2: wow god there's So many directions to go with that. I mean, I would definitely come back to it. I think there's lots we can talk about around adventure versus lifestyle and whether or not the two are the same thing. Um, But I think it would be really useful to just kind of backtrack all the way and, you know, go crazy as long as you like. How do you get from, you know, being a young lad um, with or without a sense of adventure to moving to Iraq? And what's the process?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think it's a huge leap necessarily. Um, I, I grew up in the countryside in Northern Ireland, so I was I grew up on a farm. Um, so I, I always had a I always had a, a pretty healthy sense of respect and admiration for um, the outdoors, and I, I was really lucky to grow up in that world. And we, um, where we were right on the north coast of Northern Ireland, we were about half a mile away from the ocean, and we were in the hills and, you know, there was horses and cows and dogs and stuff around. And, um, I went to like a little village primary school that had 49 pupils, um, and all of them were taught across two rooms. So, I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty rural, simple existence, but it was, it was really beautiful. And I, I think I, um, I have always kind of carried a lot of what I learned at a young age with me, um. But I also like a lot of people when you grow up in a in an environment like that you you take for granted what you have and you start to um desire what you don't have and i I wanted cities and i wanted to spend Saturdays doing something other than like shoveling horse manure um and i you know i, I wanted something kind of more like the the reality that I was, that I would see on TV or whatever else. And, um, so I went to, when I went to university, I went to, um, the university of Kent in Canterbury, um, which I chose by figuring out which university inside the United Kingdom was the farthest geographically away from my home. Um, <laughs> and it was, that was the university of Kent. So I, I went to Canterbury and that was, I mean, Canterbury is quite a small city. Um, but it it was mind-blowingly big and diverse and exciting for me coming from northern ireland and and this isn't necessarily the northern ireland's backwater it's just that where i came from was like very very small and i hadn't really i very rarely went to um to belfast or to derry and um you know I was i was just always in the uh in the countryside um so uh, I kind of had those three years at university where I was just learning how to be around large groups of people and like learning the university there is really diverse. Um and so I, I met people from all over the world and, and I think that probably stoked something else. And through all of that I I I came to this realization that I wanted more of what I'd left behind, but I also wanted some elements of what I'd just acquired. Um and I I those things together and came up with a i suppose it's essentially a glorified gap year but i I wanted to go off on a bicycle and ride as far as i could with a year's worth of savings um and and so that was the first journey that i did but it i mean it was really just a um a slightly sort of um more adventurous cycling holiday um but in the best possible way because it was way outside of anything I'd done before and I started in New York City and rode across North America and I'd never really ridden a bicycle more than 20 or 30 miles in a day before and so I had to learn everything about how to bike tour and how to be in a new place and how to look after myself and um, and it, was, it took a long time for me to do that and then when I did I just never wanted to stop and I, I cycled for about a year and a half until my money ran out uh and that was the point at which i kind of thought okay this is that i've enjoyed this year and a half of like self-indulgence of looking inside figuring out who i am seeing the world but the the thing that i can retain from this i can't do that for the rest of my life i can't sort of navel gaze um for the next 50 years but um but i i started to appreciate the 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 way in which traveling slowly in a, in a sort of more unusual way brought me into places and into communities that I might never have encountered had I been on a bus or in a car or just flying between places. And I was, you know, naturally really interested in those places. And, um, I had these diaries full of all these stories I'd been told and and things that I'd learned. And I, I started to think like, well, maybe there's a way that I can develop those skills that I, um, I'm beginning to uh learn in in, in how to tell stories and ho- how to tell other people's stories and how to give them a platform to to share their thoughts and opinions and important things that they want to say and um yeah and then a few steps later I moved to northern iraq <laughs> uh, but that, I mean that was really that, that was kind of how it started I, I that was the decision point of I want to give this a go of making this my I mean, I guess I didn't think of it as a career, but like uh, this is what I want to put all my time and energy into. So I did. Um, I was fortunate to to be helped along the way and to kind of meet really interesting people at the right time. And after that, I went. I'd met a guy called Rob Lilwall um, who'd done a long bicycle trip and written a book about it. And he was interested in seeing more of China, so we teamed up and decided to walk across China. It really, kind of take this idea of slow travel to a um, An extreme, um, and we we spent seven months, six and a half, seven months walking from the northern edge of the Gobi Desert all the way down to Mongolia, which was about three thousand miles. And through Rob's connections and and and, um, uh, and and kind of his drive for this, we managed to convince National Geographic to um, commission us to make a four-part TV series, which uh, was actually that the harder part of the whole endeavor i mean walking that far and um and learning how to be on expedition for that long and and so on was remarkably challenging but but learning how to make a tv series um was probably even harder and it was it was a kind of real baptism by fire um but that gave me the uh you know that that kind of gave me the break that i needed to I suddenly had like some expedition chops. I'd done some, um, interesting journeys and I, I, I'd done something for national geographic, which at that age and with, um, with that relatively, uh, little experiences was, was, you know, such a, a lucky break and a, and a gift. And, and so that kind of allowed me to, to continue it on. And that was eight, nine years ago now that I did that journey. So, um, yeah. So so far, uh, it's still going.
2: Yeah, and um, we'll come back to the whole career side of it in a sec. But I feel like you glossed over the I walked six thousand miles across China. I mean, that's that's uh, it's a really really long way. That's I mean I think just to kind of you know doing the basic maths on it, that's you know six or seven months. You're not just Bimbling a couple of miles a day and setting up a tent. Are you?
1: No, it's quite. So it was. It was three thousand miles, f- f- uh, five thousand something kilometers, but three thousand miles. So it's it's still quite a long way. I mean, it was it was much longer than uh, than I. It felt much longer than I thought it would feel. If that <laughs> um, makes sense. And we, I mean, neither Rob nor I had walked anything like I mean obviously we hadn't walked that but before, but we we'd never done long walking journeys before of more than a few days. So we we kind of, you know, almost quite literally sketched it out on the back of a napkin um the the schedule, which was uh, initially, I mean we developed it more, but initially it was like, why do we walk 20 to 30 miles a day? You know, that seems reasonable. Marathon distance a day. Um we need a rest, so we'll take one day off a week. So six days a week. Um marathon a day for uh for six months and yeah and it turns out that's really really hard especially when you're when you're trying to make a tv show and when when you're just in somewhere that is so um rich and interesting and complex as china i mean this it's it's not like it's not like walking through um you know somewhere that's that's pretty bland and featureless like like walking through a desert or you know um just walking through a, an an empty-ish natural landscape those have complexities too but it's like there was so much going on and we had to field all of that and we were also just you know dealing with all of our own um issues and stresses about it and all of our own um physical and mental uh challenges and questions about capability and for sure it's the hardest i mean i think probably physically and mentally it's the hardest thing i've Done. Um and I I don't really have a desire to do anything uh like that again. Um I mean I I I, there's parts of it I really love and walking is now you know a really central feature of a lot of what I do. But I think because of the the kind of pace that we set ourselves, um we we missed a lot and it became a slog in large parts and you know I, I like slogging your way through China for six months is. I, I'm glad I did it, but there's there's also better ways to to move through China for six months. So there was parts of it I think we did really well. Um, I'm really proud of, of what we did, but I also there's a lot I would change um, were I had to do it again. But I guess that's the point, right? I mean, you do these things and you you look back and kind of critique uh, how it could be
2: better. Of course. Yeah, I mean, this is an unfair question, maybe, but did you stay friends?
1: Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, I actually just spoke to to Rob the other day. One of the strange things about the the time that we're living in at the minute is that um, I, I I probably speak to friends who are scattered around the world more often, or at least as frequently as I speak to friends who used to live reasonably close to me, because the the method for um catching up is now the same for everyone, whether they're ten miles down the road or you know, five and a half thousand miles away in another continent. Um but uh yeah, I I I talked to Rob the other day and we, we stayed friends all the way through. I mean we started to know each other pretty intensely um in the middle of it. But uh we I remember at one point us walking along and Rob was married and um he was he was clinking his metal wedding ring onto his hiking pole as he walked and he was like every second and a half or two seconds, he would clink this metal wedding ring. And he was completely oblivious to the fact that he was doing it. But for some reason, I kind of thought that the the sort of sensible British way of dealing with it was just to not say anything and internalize all of that anger and frustration that was building up in me Um, until about three days in, I, you know I was about to push him off the top of a cliff, and we we had this really um you know aggressive, volatile argument about it for about twenty seconds because neither of us are aggressive or volatile people and then suddenly it was gone and and that was you know probably a month or two into the journey, and at that point we realized that we needed to talk about everything immediately and it turns out rob had a whole list of things that i was doing that were really annoying him um but uh yeah getting it all out in in the open air made it so much better and um and i think gave us space to you know appreciate um what the other was going through and that our our there was so much that we shared in going through this experience together but also each of us were making our own internal journey and um you know that that allowed us to, to sort of deal with that. So that was one of the, that was the make or break point on that trip.
2: It's funny, isn't it? The, the correlation between, well, uh, their relationships, you know, these, these journeys and these, the people that we share them with, those are relationships and they need to be as carefully managed, looked after, nurtured, worried about as our other relationships.
1: Yeah, it's true. And I, I, I mean, um the, the people that I've spent the most time with on these long journeys—I've—I've I've now done, you know, a handful of pretty long expeditions. Um, in some way similar to to that with Rob and uh, the people I've done those with are, are, are I would consider some of my closest friends because because I've spent all that time with them and we've had to go through that process. And it, I mean, of course, we share this unique experience, but you're right—it's more than that. It's it's all of that work that you've put into that friendship and that relationship. And, you know, I think you you form a deeper understanding of that person. And and that's one of the um the reasons why I I love to do almost all of the work that I do on foot is because I mean there's lots of other factors to it about the 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 kind of immersion you get from going slowly, but it's also about relationships. If you walk with someone, you know, it's it's very non-confrontational um you, you're you're both having to adapt to the speed of the other and, and you kind of fall into line with each other and generally you're walking, you know, shoulder to shoulder and you're kind of beside each other and you don't necessarily have to look directly at one another while you're speaking. So it, it often encourages someone to to be a little bit more open than they might be if if you were just staring into each other's eyes. And um it you know it it so much comes out when you go for a walk with someone that may not otherwise and um yeah i think we take that for granted sometimes
2: yeah so what do you mean by slow travel what does that mean to you
1: slow travel to me is um well i've 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 kind of um adopted this phrase that i uh that i found in a, a book called wanderlust by rebecca solnit um which is a that's her book on the history of walking and she talks about um uh thinking at three miles an hour you know kind of bringing everything down to walking speed and uh not just moving at that speed but thinking and processing and i've never really found anything that describes what what i'm trying to get at better than better than her um uh and so that's kind of what it is to me it's 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 bringing everything into line with the speed of movement and um it's you know there's there's kind of an inherent like humility about traveling slowly and it gives you a a really interesting perspective as well um because if you're if your uh experience is limited to the distance that you can walk in a single day you're you're so much more likely to pay attention to what's around you right and and you're you're kind of really forced to take in everything that's there and um but but it uh, again and so that gives a, a maybe a more realistic impression of a, a place or or the conversations that you're having and it, it shows you how um, a mountain uh, grows out of a, a flat plain right because you feel it with with every step and um, you know maybe intellectually someone can understand that just by reading about it or looking at it or you know flying over the top of it or driving up it but but you don't really feel it until you you walk it. Um, so I, I like those limitations of it, but I also think that slow travel is, is really exciting. I mean, especially, um, when we think about traveling on foot, because, uh, you know, where I am right now, for example, if I walk West, um, like theoretically I could walk to Paris, you know, in this landmass. And if I walk East, I could go to Kamchatka. And if I, you know, went South and across Sinai, I could end up in Cape Town. So there's, you know, there's that kind of slowness and immersion and like immediacy and locality is also, uh, you can step back and you can see all these little connections that form. And and maybe, so maybe that's what it is, is um, the slowness makes me think about all these other connections that we miss. And I, I, it's a really nice antidote to the speed that everything else moves at. And I probably don't need to speak too much about that because that's talked about a lot of these days and it's, um, you know, but it's really important. And life does move a hundred miles an hour. So uh, when you slow it down to three miles an hour, I think we we see a lot of the, the kind of the the sinews and the, the the kind of muscle of life that connects things up that we we so often um, miss or take for granted or or just never realise was there.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you phrased that extremely well. And, you know, it's very difficult to argue with. It just sounds, yeah, bang on. But I often think that part of why people go away, and this is, you know, it gets philosophical quickly, but Part of why people go away is so that they can come home again um I don't know if that's the case with you, is it
1: uh it's well it's an interesting one i mean i've i it was i mean it wasn't and then it was, and maybe it's not again <laughs> and I think what I mean by that is that the the idea of home has changed for me a lot um as it does for anyone who I mean, I think as it does for anyone as we age, um, whether you stay at home or whether you travel, but particularly if you travel and that's been my experience, you, you start to think much more about what home means and and uh, whether it's a, a geographical location or whether it's people or whether it's feeling or whether, you know, whatever it is. And um, and initially I traveled to, to get away from everything and I, I was away for a uh, couple of years and then I, came back for a couple of months and then I went away again for almost a year. And, and I I was doing these expeditions kind of back to back. Um, And then I started to really miss elements of home. And I, uh, and I started to assess what that was and, and it was definitely people. It was definitely people that I loved, people that loved me and um, community and all that sort of stuff. Uh, And so I, I started to try and build that and, and, Plant some roots. And that didn't really mean for me to buy a house and settle down somewhere. Um, uh, Like maybe mostly because I couldn't afford a house, but um, you know, it, it, it just involved kind of deepening a lot of those relationships. And, and so now, yeah, when I, like the, the, the home part, the, the, the kind of safety and um, comfort and like value of home is, is as important to me as the going away and working part. And I can only do one because I have the other, but that doesn't mean I can't make my home in Northern Iraq, um, in the Kurdistan region for, yeah, I don't know how long I'll be here, but I'm here. It's home. Um, there's people who are, you know, some of the closest people uh, in the world to me here. And um, so for the time being, yeah, I've, I've, I feel at home and I don't feel like I'm traveling. Um, you know, I don't feel like I'm on a trip when I'm here.
2: Yeah, I I don't say this very often, I suppose, but I really envy that in a way. Um, not because I lack the sense of home, but I've never experienced what it would be like to move to another country and for it to feel like home rather than for it to feel like I'm traveling. I don't know. Is that rare?
1: I don't know. Um, I mean, it's it's certainly the first time I've really been somewhere that feels like like a home. Um, I mean, I think when you do what you do and um and also what I do, you get very good at making a type of home somewhere <laughs> for a short period of time you know you you kind of settle into wherever you are, whether it's um you know hanging off the side of a rock face or somewhere else, and you you kind of have enough there that that makes you feel comfortable um and it's like your' home for a night or two nights or a week, but yeah, to find someone that feels more sort of existentially um comforting maybe it is rare and i i feel very lucky i think that's in large part due to maybe my own personality and sensibilities and how that kind of matches with where i am right now and just uh you know to to the fact that i i came here not really knowing very much about the kurdistan region when i first came four years ago and you know i kind of quickly I, I kind of learned pretty quickly. And the more I learned, uh, the more I wanted to know more and, and the more I kind of felt like, you know, there's such a there's such a, a culture of hospitality in this part of the world, right? So from the very first time I came here, which was when I was trying to write a, a newspaper story um, about a, a Christian community um, that were living uh close to like on the outskirts of mosul and so it was 2016 it was um it was when isis were occupying mosul uh, that wasn't my field of work at all or or area of expertise but i'd uh, worked in this region a little bit and for some reason i'd kind of been in contact with some members of this community and they were telling me about um what it was like living so close to this occupation i thought i'll go and write a story about them but i quite quickly realized when i arrived here that you know, I'm not cut out for that sort of work. I don't have the experience. I don't have, um, uh, I, I find it hard. I find it too hard, honestly. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm no war correspondent and there are lots of people who do that job wonderfully and, and that's not me. And it was much better for everyone if I wasn't trying to do that. Um, and, uh, but I, I I was put in touch with this guy called Lawin who lived here, um, who was a friend of a filmmaker in London that I knew and, Lowein kind of said, well, like while you're here, why don't you go hiking, you know, just go and enjoy the mountains um, and, and decompress from, from, you know, these stories that you felt like you weren't able to tell elsewhere. So we went off into the hills and after a couple of days, we met all these people and been hosted in all these homes and um, uh, spent all this, you know, really wonderful time um, getting to know people and seeing these amazing mountains. And, and I kind of started to feel like the first sense of uh like the these twin senses. One is that it's such a privilege to be here, and the other that was that I had a responsibility to to kind of repay some of this hospitality and kindness by by telling these stories and and um you know doing justice to some of the 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 things that I was able to be part of. And and so that's maybe how it started. And um yeah and still even now to, to kind of go back to your question, I think like that's part of why this feels home is because um I've spent long enough here now that i I still feel it everyday privileged to live here, and I also feel like a deep sense of responsibility to you know to somehow kind of pay back the way in which i've I've been able to live here so so easily and the the kindnesses that are shown to me you know every single time I step on my door here.
2: And so I suppose it would be actually be quite good to talk about what you do professionally. I actually haven't asked. <laughs> um well I mean mostly I'm a writer so uh
1: I um I write uh about places like this. I mean I used to write about the the expeditions I went on and um I still do in a sense but you know I'm interested in writing about people I'm interested in writing about places that I think are misunderstood or um or or uh you know not seen in the the fullness of their <laughs> glory um and i uh i like to write kind of longer form longer form is kind of where i'm at and um and occasionally i do other forms of telling those stories by making films or um Sometimes presenting films or TV things and and doing radio stuff and, um, but but kind of writing is where um, my heart is the most and and certainly where I, th- I think I've got the most experience. Um, but that's all. All of this has led. So I I I've written two books. Um, and my last one was about walking through the the area that we often think of as the the holy lands of the world. You know, this this kind of area around Jerusalem. Um, Israel and the Palestinian territories and Jordan and the Sinai Peninsula. And in 2015, 2016, I walked a 1,000-mile loop through the Holy Lands following a, a series of contemporary hiking trails that had been developed in these areas on top of you know, the kind of ancient pathways. Um, so I started from Jerusalem and went north through the West Bank um, on a trail called the Masari Brahim. Uh, and then I at the, the northern end of the West Bank, I crossed east across the River Jordan into Jordan, um, just south of the Syrian border and uh, the border of the Golan Heights. And I walked south the length of Jordan on the Jordan Trail um, to Aqaba and the Red Sea. And then I crossed the Red Sea uh, in a boat <laughs> and um, crossed the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Sinai. And then um, from the... The border with Sinai and southern Israel. I walked back up through the the Negev Desert to the West Bank and, and kind of back in through Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and and so the book was about trails and about how these new trails have grown on the the old Bedouin footpaths and the pilgrimage routes and the um, the ways that armies and traders and shepherds have walked for thousands of years. Um, but it was also about the people you meet along the way, if you walk through, you know, this kind of most ancient holiest of lands. And, and I, I did it as a, as a pilgrim, but not as a religious pilgrim, you know, more as a, more as a, a pilgrim of, um, of conversation and of, uh, of kind of um, hospitality and uh, yeah. And, and, and so um, that, that's That was my last big project and, and that's good. Those are kind of the things that, that, yeah, in the in the Venn diagram of of things I'm interested in and, um, and stories I want to tell, that was you know, kind of got all of them right in the middle. Wow,
2: I mean that just sounds since I've got a soft spot for that part of the world anyway. But that it just sounds wild. I mean, what we what were your experiences of those people that you sort of so passionately speak about?
1: Yeah, I mean it was um, it, it was a, it was an incredibly enriching experience. And um, you know, there's. I always struggle to 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 bring it together in a in a kind of nice concise summary of it. But there were there were a few generalizations that I could uh, bring from it, which were along the lines of. I was I I was able to kind of dis- discover, not discover, um, you know, uh, appreciate that. The hospitality that so many people speak of in this region um it, it it didn't start or stop based on ethnicity or religion. you know I was welcomed into mosques and churches and synagogues um quite often in the West Bank, I would see churches and mosques built side by side, you know very purposefully to show that coming together of of religion and thought um i I slept in people's homes all the way around uh I, I was you know one gentleman called mahmoud in jordan in a town called kerak uh or just outside kerak i was trying to get there because i heard they had a guest house and i'd been walking for days and, it, and i was exhausted and just before i got there at the end of a kind of 15 16 hour day of walking um this guy mahmoud kind of came out and um you know sort of gently laughed at me from his garden and went inside and got his kids and brought them out. So they could also, you know, gently laugh at me. And then, and then he kind of swept me up and took me into his home. And, um, he made me some foods. Uh, he showed me where I could sleep for the night. Um, he made sure I had water and everything I needed. And then he asked me what I was doing, which I, I kind of like that that was the order of business, um, was make sure I'm I'm fine. And and then, ask questions. And when I told him I was on this journey and I was about 500 miles in, he he asked if if I would mind if he and his sons washed my feet because they must be so sore after such a long, um, painful, tiring journey. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've never had anyone ask to wash my feet before. Uh, and I, I'm not sure it'll ever happen to me again. And I was really embarrassed about it because um, my socks were quite literally toxic i mean they they could walk the next 500 miles themselves they were absolutely um horrendous and but he insisted and i i you know i I tried to kind of politely decline but he insisted and so i had to peel off these rancid socks and um and then he brought his two sons in and i could see that they weren't quite so into this as he was but but they they were part of the um the setup so anyway they they went through this kind of very ritual bathing of my feet and you know, it was a very, I was kind of deeply aware of this, like, um, you know, almost like biblical act of kindness that was going on um, in front of my eyes and in front of my feet. And, but also just, you know, what a, what a ridiculously kind, wonderful thing for any stranger to do to someone they don't know. And certainly happened to me on this journey in a part of the world that is so often demonized Um that uh, th- there are a few experiences like that 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 I could recount, but you know, I think that kind of does a good job of um, of explaining why why I feel so passionately about you know just trying to report back. This it's not groundbreaking storytelling in the sense; it, those types of stories aren't. That they're they're just the stories of a human interaction. But I think we need that sometimes, and particularly now, and particularly um, in that context and i'm always so aware that you know i um there were, there were parts of the journey that i really struggled with as well because i um i'm uh i'm acutely aware of like the, the of my profile as i travel right i'm a, i'm a white guy i'm traveling with i'm actually traveling with two passports i'm traveling with a british and an irish passport um you know and so if i if i'm somewhere in the the old british empire where i feel like they probably won't like um British people, I'll I'll use my Irish passport and um, you know, and if I wanna uh get some help from an embassy, I can use my British passport and I can uh, you know, I can use an abuse it. And it's all I've given all of these um these gifts that that I, I didn't do anything to deserve and uh but but it, it gives me this grip um you know ability to travel and and so easy to take that for granted. And then I I get to these um, you know, I'm walking through the West Bank and uh and people are taking me to show the to, to to show their the mountains and hills around their home and and you know particularly in in the West Bank I, I was aware that those people would probably never be able to come and see my mountains and hills back home in Ireland right like they're just they, they were completely unable to to leave and to travel um, and. uh and so that's that's really hard. Um, I mean, it's it's not as hard as being the person who's not able to travel and is is kind of st- uh, stuck there. But it but it it's it's something I think that all travelers should be aware of. But particularly someone who's claiming to to write and give a platform to to local voices and so on. And so I, I spend a lot of time thinking about um, you know my my place in the world um, and how I can use that, you know, how I can use all of this for good and how I can be responsible. And, um, you know, and right now it's really strange because I'm, whenever I'm traveling around in the countryside here and um, the Kurdistan region, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of watching people here like wince at the news from America and like all these contortions that the US is going through right now and and, and have like, um, you know, my Kurdish colleagues here asking like you know what what's what's happening with brexit like what's <laughs> what's that going to achieve you know what's what's going on over there are you guys all right like do you need you know <laughs> do you need some help um and so so kind of really for the first time in my adult life watching that that kind of gears be be switched back around again and and um yeah so it, it's a bit of a, a rambling answer but um that's that's kind of one of the 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 other alongside the, the sort of hospitality and um I wonder that I find in kind of day to day on these long journeys there's also uh you know some of these more more challenging questions of of what I'm doing and um and how to do it in the best possible way
2: it sounds like you have a very um or you seek out a very human experience of the landscape as opposed to seeking out wilderness I mean do you have any desire to row an ocean or walk across Antarctica uh, yeah I'd love
1: to do both of those things um, and the the reason that I I uh, never attempted to uh, was well one they're, they're very hard but also they um, when I was a bit younger and you know I was really into big expeditions uh, they were just so expensive um, I mean particularly those two things Um and I just had no idea. I certainly didn't have that money myself, and I had no idea how I would go about finding twenty or thirty grand to row across an ocean or or join a team. And um, I had no kind of skills in fundraising, and um, yeah, so I just I just didn't know that. But I could when I when I finished um, the the trip in China with Rob Lilwall, I uh, I walked across the Empty Quarter deserts. Um, on the Arabian Peninsula with Alistair Humphreys, which was six or seven weeks of um walking through a desert. And that cost us about 800 quid each. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a very different experience to rowing an ocean, but um it was it was also awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. And um and that was that wasn't such a, a human experience, but actually that was a a pretty impactful journey on me because I went there, I think, similar to Alistair, attracted by the wilderness and the landscape. And I, you know, I'm I'm quite often attracted to places because of their natural qualities. Like that's the that's the thing that kind of draws me in. But it's it's normally the human experience that remains um, afterwards. And that journey was exactly the same. I I I was fascinated by this desert that the the scale of it and um and what it might feel like to to try and travel through that just the two of us um but actually what what stayed with me was you know these these kind of uh, irregular encounters that we would have with um, with oil workers who were you know travelling through to some site in the middle of the desert and there would be like a truck full of um, full of you know five or ten people from uh all over the world there would be like uh you know a pakistani guy a syrian guy um and like a, a guy from um somewhere in central asia and a french guy and they'd all kind of come out and dig into their cool box and give us a can of pepsi and like chat to us for a little bit and you know and uh and and then we'd go on our, our way and um and then we we ran into some of the Bedouin too and you know all of like we we hadn't really planned on that like we hoped we would meet people but um that was what that was what made it memorable and that was uh that was kind of where I felt like um people are people and people's stories um and the way in which people relate to one another is is kind of what I'm interested in
2: yeah and isn't it funny how you know uh, I don't know it's so individual, but when we think of wilderness or when we think of expeditions, we think of like these you know these these journeys of conquest where we're walking through a desolate landscape with nobody in it, and actually you know people live there, people live in these places,
1: yeah, yeah, and that's um that's been something i I guess I've had to learn uh and that's part of the value of slowing down too is i mean. Obviously I always knew that people lived there, but I've I've had to learn that um that maybe it's just as important to stop and, you know, listen in one of those villages like uh on one side of the ridge as opposed to just like heading up onto the ridge and kind of um walking along it until the next uh sort of interesting feature. Um and yeah, I, I guess that's that's kind of been a big part of the last couple of years is is maybe learning how to to stop um in places and uh and and listen more um it's not it's not always the easiest thing to do when you're you know when, when there's so much to see and such a big world out there and like so many exciting things to do but but yeah it's it's pretty important
2: yeah and of course it depends on your intention right i mean there's that, I don't know who it was or how fast they did it, but somebody visited all of the countries in the world in like a 40 day period or whatever, and just flew between the airports. You know, they're very welcome to do it, but it doesn't appeal to me.
1: Yeah. Actually, I, I see quite a few of these people coming through here. I mean, I don't necessarily see them in person, but I, I hear about them because, um, you know, Iraq is one of these countries that people have got to take off. And, um, if they want to go to every country in the world and, uh, almost all of them will come to the Kurdistan region because you, you know, certainly if if you're coming from um, UK or the US or a lot of European countries, you can get a visa on arrival for 30 days here. Um, You know, so people will come here because it's safe and easy and uh, often they'll spend like one or two days and and then head off again. And yeah, I mean, it's a different type of experience. I I, I try not to cast any aspersions on that. I think it's, um, there's lots of ways to, to live one's life and to, um, you know, to, to get kicks, but it doesn't appeal to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to kind of bang the drum for, for slowing down as, as much as I possibly can.
2: Yeah. As you say, it's, well, you know, it, it's horses for courses, isn't it? But there's a lot to be said for going fast, breaking records and doing impressive feats of endurance, but equally adventure. It's such a funny word. It's such a broad word. Um, It's not defined by being the fastest, the boldest, the bravest, the quickest.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's it's maybe also worth saying. I mean, I I don't think I don't think it's doing myself a disservice. But I was never really going to be the fastest or the strongest, or you know, I was never going to be the the fastest cyclist or the the best climber or the you know, I was I was kind of really average at most of the things I was doing. And that's the beauty of adventure and of travel, right? Is you can be average, you can be below average. And you can still have a really good time and you can go and um do whatever it is that you love doing. Uh but yeah, I mean I, I um I never really had the the I didn't kind of turn down a, a career as a um as a, a kind of gold medal winning cyclist in order to do this. So maybe, maybe it just sort of naturally aligned with the fact that I I was slow at doing stuff anyway and <laughs> maybe slow at thinking about stuff anyway, so um so why not uh turn it into a job <laughs> yeah
2: i can relate to that in many many ways <laughs> um yeah i suppose i have two questions that are sort of one question mixed in together i mean do you think adventure is accessible and in the same breath do you think adventure is perceived as accessible
1: yeah it's it's interesting i guess it, it depends on who's asking the question and who's answering it right um and maybe I I have the the fortune of having a, a different perspective, you know, as I'm talking to you from here, but for sure adventure should be accessible. And um, there are many adventurous things that um, any of us can do that are, are, are kind of more or less on our doorstep. And, you know, if we, it's kind of, I find that kind of hard to talk about this without getting drawn into cliched phrases, but um, I'll, I'll try my best. I mean, I like, i think adventure is a, it is how we think you know it, it's a it's a way of of um it's it's how we choose what we do you know each day and um and the way in which that manifests itself and um so if we choose to do something that's challenging uh then you know that's more adventurous than choosing to do the thing that we already know how to do and that can be as simple as trying to and a new uh trail and you, a new place to go walking close to your home or a new uh, route when you're climbing or whatever or it can be something much bigger like going off on a cycling trip in, in a country you've never been to before um so i think like in in theory adventure is really accessible um and uh yeah and i and i think adventure should be thought about in in those terms um it it shouldn't be it shouldn't be you know co-opted by this this world of big adventure and of of kind of epicness because one that's not for everyone and two um two it's not possible for everyone for for lots of reasons and it's important that that exists because we all you know me as much as anyone enjoy following it from a distance um and that those People who have the kind of special skills and circumstances can go and do that, and we can all um, watch them doing their like amazingly cool thing. But yeah, I, I think it should also, we could, in whatever way we can, we should make it very clear that adventure is, is, exists at a, a local scale as much as anything. And, um, I, and when I talk about the perspective that I have here, I'm just thinking that, uh, I'm, I'm here in in Kurdistan and there's there's lots of people here who who love to spend time out in the mountains and go hiking and and everything else and there's there's a pretty active um local hiking scene here and um there's people who go climbing and and so on um and you know the majority of people who I spend my time with here are they have Iraqi passports um so they're, they're kind of limited as to where they can go in the world easily um and uh, and, and so I suppose the world feels that, you know, I'm just thinking of a conversation I had the other day with a friend of mine when we went out for a hike and he was saying like, just naturally his world feels a little smaller than my world. Like it's the same planet, but he, he kind of, he said, he still imagines that the map of the world is having these, you know, kind of blank spots where, um, there's no information about it because he, he knows he can't go there. So, so why, why kind of torture yourself with wondering what it's what's there if you know you can't go there and um i mean the other side of that is uh another guy that we were with was saying like he he kind of likes to imagine all those places because it's it's aspirational and um but yeah i mean uh adventure when we were there is like um this friend of mine was saying that adventure for him is is always going to be these mountains because they're his home and they're they're everything he needs, but they're also probably everything he, they're like the scope of what he might be able to see, um, regardless because of all of these rules that the world has imposed on someone who was born where he was born. So yeah, I mean, um, maybe that's taken in a different direction again, but uh, I I kind of think that's why it's important that when we, when I, certainly when I speak about adventure, I, I, I think of it as this thing that anyone can do and and that it's important to do because it enriches and impacts on our life in a very positive way and like life without adventure is really boring and everyone should be doing it in one way or another um you know and i i I kind of uh i try to avoid ever telling anyone else how how to live their lives um but i i I think like everyone should do more adventurous stuff
2: basically (laughs) uh in, in whatever form they they find that yeah I think that's a fair um fair message how do you well I shouldn't I shouldn't assume that you feel guilty but do you feel guilty hanging out with these people who can't leave and if so how do you reconcile that guilt
1: I guess I I mean th- there's certainly like waves of guilt that, that come and go um and um you know I think that it's it's important to say as well that I never feel judged for it um i i I never feel like um i never feel like these friends of mine or or people that i might meet when i might in the mountains here or or anywhere else kind of feel um uh you know any sort of animosity to me because of that but um yeah i i think about it a lot i i i try and think um I try and think quite a lot, like, why am I here? Like, what am I actually doing here? And am I doing something that somehow is having a positive impact? Um, and uh, so so not that, like, I have to go and try and change the world, you know, in order to make up for um, this kind of passport privilege that I was born into, but but more just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm I'm enjoying this wonderful part of the world. And um, and I should be aware that uh that that 's something that i 'm really lucky to be able to do, so how can i how can I make sure that my time is spent creating something good um you know and, and at very least not leaving anything bad behind and that's that that is what sort of took me into this um, strange sort of new world of of helping to design and and create and strategize hiking trails over the last few years. Um so when I walked in those trails um uh in the West Bank and Jordan and Sinai um I I studied quite a bit of the the trail organizations who who put them together and uh and wrote about that in this book. And then I started getting asked to help design <laughs> trails and places. So I I went out to Armenia, first of all, to, to sort of observe and, and likely help my friend Tom Allen, who was working on the Transcaucasian Trail, which is this amazing project across Georgia and Armenia that Tom's been um, helping to pioneer with his um, Armenian colleagues um, and Georgian colleagues for, for quite some time. And, and I kind of saw the, the work that they were doing there. And um, and then I, I got asked to go and design a, a hiking trail in rural central China, which felt like a, and it was, I was asked to go and do it by a guy that I'd met towards the end of that 3,000 mile walk that we did in China eight years before. Um, and now I'm working on, on, on stitching together a a long distance trail that crosses the Kurdish region here in Northern Iraq. Um, and so the, 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 the point of that is that it's something that's can be it it, it like gives a, a structure for for people who live here to to be able to enjoy the mountains and and the land, um, and it also helps give a structure for foreigners like me who come in to to see this place and to see it in its full glory and to pass through communities and it, it kind of creates a a new type of economy. Ultimately, I hope you know where where money will go into homestays and to guides and everything else. And, um, and one of the really, I I saw this happen in the West Bank and, uh, was like local Palestinians who were, um, who'd been involved in the creation of this trail were were kind of saying like walking these paths, finding the old paths and turning them into something new that people will come and walk on again is sort of amazing because it allows us to reclaim this land, you know, and that part of the world is, um, beset by this question of land ownership and so Palestinians who felt like they were being quite literally written out of existence and like on Google Maps that their town no longer had the 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 name that the Arabic name of their town anymore it it was just no longer, it had been taken off but like the nearby Israeli settlement had had its name so these were people who were living in an existence where they felt like they their land was being taken away from them and and walking was a way that they felt they were able to reclaim that and here in Kurdistan, there's there's kind of a lot of issues. There's there's huge areas of the countryside that are filled with landmines, like unexploded ordnance from um from the past conflicts, uh, you know, like the Iran-Iraq war and from Saddam Hussein's time when he littered this whole area with landmines um in his campaigns against the Kurdish population. And so like the mountains here are so beautiful, but so often people look at them and don't feel like they can go and walk there because they're not sure which areas are safe and which areas aren't and it's their way why they're very wise to do that because um you know that there, there are are it is very dangerous and, and landmines move as well with weather so um by doing this research to find all these old trails and then find a safe path that connects you know across the region from the west to the east um it it also um allows people to to kind of uh rediscover um that landscape and and to do so safely and um yeah and 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 and, i mean uh, my my role in it is is you know simply that it's just helping strategize but the the people who have to pioneer it are, are the ones who know the trails and so we work with all these amazing hikers and shepherds and you know kind of old military guys who who know all these paths and you know they help us find them map them stitch them together and uh yeah and so uh, <laughs> um that's another tangential answer but um i uh like that that's something that makes me feel um like i'm i'm you know contributing something as well here um even if it's relatively small in the scheme of things but uh, like it it kind of uh it helps me allay some of those um uh any sense of 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 guilt or you know um discomfort
2: it's the simple question, are we giving more than we're taking away? And it sounds like you're, you know, riding that line pretty well. So how far away are we from a position where you're going to encourage people to come and go on a week-long walking holiday in northern Iraq?
1: Um, I mean, hopefully not that far in some senses. We we did take a small group. Um, I've been working with a, an American organization called the Abraham Path Initiative. Um, and uh, so so they've kind of... Uh, they funded a lot of the, the early development work and, and they ran a uh, an inaugural trip at the end of 2019 where a few guests came out and we took them to, uh, we took them on five days of walking. Um, I mean, in reality, it's it's years away. This this sort of process takes a very long time and, and I'm still learning about it. I don't have a background or training in how to develop a, a hiking trail um, and everything that comes with it. But I, I've I've now been doing it for a couple of years on and off and I, I work with a guy called David Landis who's done this um all over the world and particularly all over the Middle East. Um and so I, I learn a lot from him and um I I think it'll probably take three to five years before all of those um all of those elements and, and services are are kind of in position where uh groups can come and maybe even independent hikers can come and they can find guides and there's there's like a facility in place where you can find and hire a guide easily and know where you're going to stay each night and know where it's um uh you know know where to get water and know where you can have mobile phone signal and you know all of that sort of stuff that we take for granted on trails in other parts of the world so that's probably yeah that's that's years away but um i'm hopeful that we can also bring some groups here more in the in the shorter term and Yeah, and I say I'm hopeful that like my job will become um, like I'll kind of work myself out of a job pretty soon and, um, you know, because I'm not going to be here forever, but but it would be nice if the trail is uh, because it's the trail is already based on other trails that have been there for maybe not forever, but for hundreds of thousands of years, hundreds or thousands of years. Um, So, yeah, I'm hopeful that my Kurdish colleagues and guys like Lawine, who's been leading it here can um, start to lead groups within the next year or two and then build it up from there. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to come on a week long walking holiday in Kurdistan, um, <laughs> uh, maybe give it a year for the pandemic to, to kind of quieten down and then um,
2: come on out. <laughs> well, you might regret saying that. Um, I mean, but isn't that something amazing to you know look forward to even, you know, I don't mean from a, everyone's all of a sudden going to go, but in a world of bad news and in a world of, you know, destruction, chaos, et cetera, isn't it amazing to think we're going to be thinking about walking holidays in Northern Iraq in the next few years?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it is. And that, um, it, it like, even just here, you know, hearing you say it, it like really fills me with a sense of, you know, joy and excitement about it. And, um, I love it. I find like, I feel like I've stumbled upon a, a something I I I love and, you know, a kind of sense of purpose that um I didn't know I, I was missing. Um and I mean I still, you know, by the nature of the writing work and other stuff I do, I'll still travel at lots of other places I will want to go and other things I want to write about. But yeah, I, I really want to see this come to fruition and I, I've been f I've been able to watch it happen elsewhere. And um and I think also what's kind of amazing to me is uh, like that, that that it feels that that it feels odd to think that uh, coming to northern Iraq to go hiking. Um, I, I guess what, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say like um, it shouldn't be so strange to us that it it would be fun to go and hike uh, for for a week in northern Iraq. You know, because it is like it is nice safe. It it's um it's beautiful, and I, I kind of want to um i kind of want to to do my part to to help get rid of those um, bad memories and bad reputations and misguided uh um you know impressions about it and and just sort of rebalance that out so that yeah and maybe not in 5 years or in 10 years but like at some point it won't seem so odd to just have kurdistan uh, on a list of top hiking destinations alongside you know, the other places in the world that we, we kind of accept more readily.
2: Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? (laughs) Yeah, it really would. So I've got two quick questions for you that I tend to, you know, almost always ask at the end. Um, So quick fire sort of, what worries you?
1: I, I get worried quite a lot. um,
2: And it's
1: mostly, I get worried by uncertainty um, which is odd because that's also the, the sort of total nature of everything i do and um but i think i get i get more worried about um like the uncertain i mean the pandemic really worried me and i know it kind of really worried everyone but i i was sort of surprised by that so um yeah i i get i get worried by these bigger things that are outside of my control um which is maybe why it's kind of I, i like to focus on you know smaller local things that are less likely to get affected which is maybe um just protecting myself but uh i mean that's that's kind of a not a great answer like i'm worried by a global pandemic <laughs> that's probably an obvious thing um uh yeah i i don't know i i get i get kind of worried by a lot of things i get worried by deadlines like um i get i get worried that i'm that i'm not going to write as well as i should um <laughs> Mostly I worry about, you know, my work and whether it's as good and important as it should be.
2: (laughs) I think that it's important for people to realize that, you know, someone who's walked all of these distances and done all these amazing things is a human being who has the same worries and fears. And despite, you know, living in northern Iraq, which seems like a very edgy out there thing to be doing, you're also scared of deadlines and editors and COVID because we're all scared of it. What brings you hope? Uh, that's
1: much easier. I mean, um, living somewhere like this, uh, not to not to kind of relate every answer back to here, but yeah, I mean, just the the, the work that I do brings me hope, and um, all of these conversations that I have, and uh, and I I actually think it's really, I think there's so much hope, and we have to look for it. Um, and there's also, I mean, there's also darkness, and there's challenge, um, and here there's tons of that. I mean, there's there's real hardship and suffering but there's there's also hope and and i've i react better to to hope than to hardship and you know um in terms of like how well i can help tell those stories so i've I've sort of made a point of trying to seek those out so it, yeah i'm surrounded by hope um in in people and in ideas and um even when the, the world kind of seems dark I, I think it's important to
2: to sort of look for where that is Definitely. All right. I guess we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a real pleasure. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks for listening. For more information, visit the Adventure Podcast at the podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft, is produced and distributed by Pip Saunders and Alex Hall and edited by Kate Bullivant. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk or you can keep in touch on Instagram at The